Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have an awesome show for you today. It is loaded. Lots of stuff to talk about. We've been driving Lotus Jaguar cars, uh, the Mini EV, the Nissan Sakura. You got to stick around for that. And then we're going to run through plenty of news. A new Ram midsize truck, perhaps built in Illinois. Illinois, as they sort of say in the upper Midwest sometimes. Uh, and we will spend your money and hit a bunch of other uh, news and auto show things we've been patrolling. So with that, let me bring in senior editor for all things electric, green, hydrogen, hybrid, mucus. That's John Snyder. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, luckily, over the over the sinus thing, finally. So, yeah. Well. Your non-contagious sinus thing has migrated over here, and I'm just draining. That's all I do. It's annoying. You don't feel bad, but it just it drains. That is what it is. So, yeah, Autoblog has been a bit of a mash unit lately, and so it goes. With that, let's bring in associate editor Byron Hurd. How are you? Hello. Hey, hey, doing pretty good. Enjoying the uh, the the rapid uh, transition to winter that we seem to be experiencing. That uh, just you know. Nothing like snow on Halloween to really remind you what Michigan can do in the cold season. It has been a minute since we've had snow on Halloween, but it was legit snow. I walked out like after it was all done and my yard had a coating. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, where we were last weekend, I was at a track event on the west side of the state and about an hour north of where we were, they got a foot and lost power oh, wow. from the thunder snow. So I think we... Uh, we <laughs> That's aggressive. Yeah, we just snuck out like at the last possible second. It's coming, guys. I'm excited. I golfed last Friday. So it's like, <laughs> that's just exactly Michigan right now is, you know, it can be 80. You might get a foot of snow. Who knows? Here's a little bit of trivia. And I won't belabor this too much. I golfed at Rackham Golf Course in, next to the Detroit Zoo. Uh, historic. It's been around for about 100 years. It's named after Horace Rackham. He, his name's on like half of everything in this area from like different things at different colleges supported the zoo do you know where he made his money uh, i i don't know i know i know there's a rack and building here at u of m that's part of the grad school so i don't know if it has anything to do with the, uh architecture or something i don't know no although whatever he did endow something with one of his philanthropic efforts he used like the best like this golf course which is public was designed by donald ross who's like the albert cod of you know designers but anyways he made his money in ford stock he was an early investor in ford like made a ton of money uh he didn't even want to invest in it and they're like all right you gotta buy some shares he ended up i think he was like chairman of i don't know if it was the board of the company but chairman of like an entity as ford started made a ton of money it'd be like he invested in Ford in like the early 1900s. It's like Tesla in the early 2000s. So I never knew that until I was like reading a plaque or something at the course, did some quick Googling, and I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. So, all righty. So that's your trivia. We will spend your money at the end, but uh, we don't have any stock tips for you. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's talk about this Lotus. It's not that often that a Lotus comes through our fleet. Uh, I was very interested in driving it, but I had a pretty rough cold last week that has waylaid much of Autoblog. So I didn't get to drive it, but you did, Byron. Tell us about this. Uh, I, I fell in love with that thing pretty much immediately. I mean, you know, it's a Lotus, so, you know, it's all about the drive. It's all about engagement. And uh, it reminded me, honestly, in a very strange way of 
that Toyota Matrix that I had for about a year and a half that everyone kind of forgot about because I got rid of it. But just the going back to that very 90s feel with the hydraulic steering and, you know, a reliable Toyota engine under the hood doesn't hurt. It's just a very direct and engaging vehicle. And everything about it just feels perfect. Like you, you'll have that moment where like you toss it into a corner and you're catching it on the way out and you're just like, oh, that's how it works. You don't have to think about it. It's just it, it borderline telepathic, wonderful to drive, but not nearly as brutal as I thought it would be. I mean, you think of like, it kind of replaced the Lotus Elise, Exige and Evora all at once. And those are three very different cars. You had, you know, like the, the, the lightest of the lightweight four cylinders. And then the Exige was a little more hardcore and the Evora was the GT, you know, and the idea of like combining all three of those things into one ice car to kind of send off gasoline propulsion at Lotus is a little weird, but it works. And the idea that they kind of really borrowed mostly from the Evora to make it work. I mean, it's the Evora chassis. It's the Evora engine. It's really a next gen Evora. And they just wanted to make it as engaging and fun as possible without compromising too much of the things that made it a good GT. And they they just really nailed it. It's nice inside, but not plush. It's not a Porsche 911. It's not even a Cayman. Um, and honestly, like I expected it to be pretty rough around the edges. I expected more of like a Cayman. I'm sorry, not a Cayman, but like a Toyota BRZ or, or, or a Super BRZ, Toyota 86. Something very raw, very just connected to the point of being tiresome. And it's not. It is incredibly well connected, but it's not exhausting to drive. It just feels really nice. It's a car you could live with. I'm not sure too many people would necessarily want to daily drive one. I mean, you're lucky if you fit golf clubs and maybe a you know, McDonald's lunch in there. There's really no storage. There's tiny little cubbies behind the seat. The little bit of actual trunk you get in the back. But the front is all the cooling stuff and aero, so there's no storage up there. It's just not super practical, but surprisingly livable for what you get. So, I mean, honestly, there was a moment and I was talking to Zach Palmer about this where I was like, you know what? If I didn't love the Blackwing, I would be seriously considering a trade. The other half of that is if I actually thought I could get my hands on an Amira that didn't have a $50,000 markup on it or something like that. Because, you know, I mean, at a hundred grand, cool. At good luck, go find one. That's a whole different ballgame. So it's, I mean, an incredibly impressive car. Really good last effort for gasoline powertrains on Lotus's behalf, even though the the powertrain itself is Toyota and old at this point, because really it's carryover from the Evora. They, they didn't really change anything. So like it's still a wonderfully impressive, wonderfully engaging car to drive. If I could have one, I would. I'm just out of room and money at the moment. So so be it. And it's and it's beautiful. I, yeah. I saw one in person when I went to visit Lotus last year <clears throat> for a chat and um didn't get to drive it but got to see it and yeah it's, it's beautiful and like you said you know really nice inside without being you know overwrought it's still you know kept a very simple um the true lotus fashion i think the amira is also sort of a really good bridge for what lotus was and what it's becoming um you know it used to be you know, very sort of raw uh exhausting sports cars and now they're moving into um, vehicles that they're hoping, uh, become a little more mainstream, um, more daily drivable stuff. Um, so something that sort of falls in the middle of that, you know, still, you know, sort of old school and raw and, and internal combustion, but with a little more, uh, <laughs> you know, comfort and, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's sort of a nice bridge and a nice send off, um, as they, as they move into, uh, 
ramping up um, electrification and um, just trying to reach a, a more broader uh, mass market, glo- a global market, really. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at it, it's it's not a car that does anything for you. It doesn't even have like blipping for a rev match or anything like that. Like everything you, you do in that car, it was a manual, the, the V6 with the manual transmission. So, you know, everything that is done in that car, you have to do it for yourself or it's not going to get done. But you get the, the really tiny little pedal box so you can easily heel toe. And the hydraulic steering feels fantastic. I mean, it's not quite as direct as you get from straight up manual steering. But considering it's 2023 and virtually everything on the market has EPS of some stripe or another electric power steering, just the feel of the hydraulic, that's what really kind of threw me back to the 90s. It was just like, wow, this 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 feels like an incredible supercar that was built 20 years ago, but somehow managed not to acquire any British idiosyncrasies in the intervening two decades. So, you know, it's, it, it feels like a brand new car designed 20 years ago, kind of for the future. It's like, this is what, this is the the best we could do with 20 year old technology right now. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal piece of machinery. So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, as many thumbs up as I could grant it. Someone wants to lend me a few more arms. We'll, uh, show some enthusiasm. So it starts at about $77,000. The Amira is not cheap, let's put it that way, but I would say it's a bargain for what it is. That's a little bit more than, say, the Cayman or the Boxster. Uh, It's a bit more than, say, the Z4 or the Z4, as they might say, across the river. Um, And it's even a bit more than the Corvette, the Supra. Uh, I'm probably leaving out a few other things here. would you guys, or Byron specifically, would you take this ahead of like a Corvette or a Cayman Boxster? What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I would I would definitely have that over the new Corvette. Um, I mean, once we're talking Z06 and things that are 100 grand or more, it changes. But if we're talking base for base, um, it would be really hard for me to turn the Evora down. It just, it feels like a more, I'm sorry, the Amira. It feels like a more coherent package. Like it, it's, it's, you can tell that it's an old design and that they really didn't have to change very much. You know, they're like, we, we've got it. It's good. Let's not screw with it too much. If we just, you know, polish the edges, update the styling, you know, make it look fresh and kind of just, you know, bring it just a little bit. You know, you get Android Auto, Apple CarPlay and, you know, basic navigation, stuff like that. I mean, the the very, very basics that you would expect from, you know, a rental car infotainment system these days, you know. And just to have that in that car kind of reminded me a little bit of the GR Corolla, where it was like everything about this car is about being fun to drive, but we're not going to make it completely miserable to get home from the track when you're done, you know, and like the Corvette, you know, you can really, you know, you can slather that thing in leather compared to the Lotus. You know, it's a it's a car that can be customized a lot more, personalized a lot more, made more daily drivable. Um, And of course, you know, you have that those V8s that just don't die, which is a wonderful thing. And but I mean. With the Lotus, you're talking about a Toyota V6 that's been around forever. That's pretty, you know, reliable, dependable transmission or powertrain, too. So there's really no downside to it at this point. I mean, there are going to be British things about it. In fact, the one we had came with a Lotus branded jump starter just in case, which was kind of nice. Um, And there were a couple of times when I thought I might need it because it did not actually start on the very first try. So, you know, like there are things you have to live with. You, you know, if you had a Corvette, you just kind of expect you put it on the battery tender in November, you go out there in April, it's going to fire right up. You know, the Lotus, you do all those things and you're still kind of rolling the dice. You know, it's, there's character 
in certain parts of the ownership experience there, kind of in the way there's character with like, you know, an Alpha Julia quadrifolio or something like that. And, you know, you're accepting that trade off for something that is kind of deliberately not a mainstream car. And the Corvette has always kind of been deliberately mainstream and kind of the way that Lotus isn't like it's it's supposed to be the everyman blue collar kind of super slash sports car. And the Lotus is no, this is not an everyman's car. This is someone who's going to find a Lotus like you you don't go shopping for, you know, whatever and just kind of land on Lotus. It's the thing you kind of go out of your way to find. And I think that makes it very different from the Corvette and even the Porsche. I mean, the Cayman and the Boxster are wonderful cars, but they feel more luxurious, almost leaning toward GT even more than the Amira. So it's it's a very different experience, and it's weird to think of like Porsche being a, like a reliable alternative. But here we are. So you know, it's it's really about what priorities you have in the car. <clears throat> it's a tough call. Um, not having driven the Amira, uh, I will say that the Exige was, you know, still one of my favorite cars I ever drove. Um, that said, I don't know, you can get a little more creature comforts in a Corvette, which at my age, um, and the ages, uh, I will be driving this in the future. Um, I kind of want, <laughs> and, um, I don't know, but there's also a part of me that's always, always, always really, really, really wanted a Cayman. Um, uh, something you know just the the Porsche driving experience is just I know I know what I'm getting into every time I do it and um it's always always lives up to my expectations so I I think I'd you know given my druthers I would go with with a Cayman just because it's always what I've what I've wanted (laughs) yeah I would probably do Cayman from this list and others that I you know that I listed just for its the the purest nature of its driving dynamics, and I think the styling is held up. It's very timeless. Um, if I wanted, like, I would say a third or a fourth car, that's where I would start to look at the Lotus because it's such a track-focused weapon. The styling is awesome, I think. Um, there's a lot to that's really appealing, but, you know, unless I was going to truly use it or I just had money to burn, I don't think I would just seek it out. You know, I think it would be like, well, that's cool, but there's other stuff here that, is a little more practical as far as like being a mid-engine sports car. So, all right, so let's shift over to something else British. This is the likely final drive we'll have of the Jaguar F-Type. Uh, this is, you know, it's really, I think, brought some of Jaguar's like sports car mojo from the 60s back. I mean, they really did it. They were blatant. They called it the successor to the E-Type. When you say that, you're you know, you're fishing with dynamite. So uh, it. I always thought it was a riot to drive. It sounded crazy. I thought it looked good. Uh, I thought it was everything they needed it to be. Uh, and you spent some time in it, Byron. Yeah, I actually literally traded the Lotus to Zach for the Jaguar last week. And so driving to Zach's and the Lotus, you know, the, the Lotus felt very sedate. In a, in a weird way, like there's some supercharger noise. And when you really get into the gas, you start to hear the engine. But it wasn't, you know, it, it, like screaming at you the whole time versus the Jag. You get into it and, it, you know, it was a convertible, which, of course, makes it even better. And we did have 60 something degree weather that day. So I was like, hey, if I'm only going to drive this once, I'm putting the top down. 
could take it down 696, blast the engine under the, the underpasses and the capped areas and listen to that a little bit. So, and I mean, you cannot beat the sound of that V8. Jaguar tuned that so perfectly. It just sounds phenomenal. And honestly, that's, it's just a very charismatic car. It reminds me a lot of ways of like the Hellcats, like, it, you know, may not be the best performance machine. Sure. It can put up some numbers, but like, you're not going to, you know, win a track day with that thing. But it sounds amazing. They look amazing. Like, it's just a car with presence and charisma. And those are kind of few and far between these days. So it's a shame that we're losing it. And losing it to electrification means it'll have to come back in a, you know, with a charisma that isn't the same as the one it left with. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to what Jaguar does with the next generation of that, just to, you know, to see what they can do with a different format. No, I was just going to say, I think it really... Uh is going to be interesting to see how they follow this up you know i mean this was just such like uh i hate to keep using the word icon but like you know what do you do next you know because for jaguar sports cars have always meant superlative styling and you don't want to really move away from that model it hasn't always been raw power but i thought jaguar has actually done a really good job with the f-type of bringing that to this like the original e-type wasn't a rocket ship or anything like that so, I mean, to me, it's like, what's next is going to be a great unanswered question for now. Well, at least, you know, they can they can win on the styling for sure. They can, you know, keep it a, a cool looking car. The thing that's going to be hard to replace is the the emotion of that of, of that V8, of that sound specifically from it. Um, I don't know if they want to go a. Uh, you know, sort of Charger Daytona route with some, you know, piped in weird system going on. But um, I don't know. I think I think if they can uh, make up for it and just like pure luxury and just pure uh, design, um, that's their best bet going forward. I mean, I think Prince Harry had a electric E-Type, right, that he drove at his wedding. So people are doing it. You know, it's it's possible, uh, but, you know, it's the canvas is there. It's how do they use it and how do they want to use it? You know, before the E-Type, the big, you know, they had the XK, which was the coupe that, or yeah, the two-door that was just great. And it's like, you know, they can find other styles to sort of communicate who they want to be. But, um, you know, I mean, it's. It's just I feel like Jaguar into a broader sense Land Rover. They're both in like a state of transition right now. So we'll see. As is a lot of the industry. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, touch on the Accord Hybrid real quick here. I've driven it for the second time uh, this year. This one came through as part of a, uh, a nap toy load, as we call it. I am on the Car of the Year jury. So some of the ones that you know are sort of making the cut. Uh, start to filter through for like, you know, another just quick take for some of the jurors. And it's interesting because I was really annoyed by this one at the start. Nothing to do with the car. Great car. But I thought they really like just kind of like almost tesla up the styling too much. But it really grew on me. I thought they kind of like it's more of a timeless look right now. Uh, anybody who listens to the show knows half of what I talk about is styling. And I really like the outgoing Accord. I thought they just crushed it. It made it a desirable sedan. Um, and then this one, I was like, boy, this is generic. This feels like what, what Hyundai did with the Sonata. 
And I don't know, it did grow on me. So maybe it's good to like get a second look at a car sometimes. I think uh, that used to happen to me when we were swapping cars throughout the week and you might get in on one on Monday and be like, this sucks. And then like Thursday, you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. So it's kind of a different second take that I, I definitely uh, enjoyed a little more the second time around. I got to drive it a little bit more, which was good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, you know, there's not that many uh, sedans out there. Uh, and this is a good one. Yeah, it's my mini review of the Accord. Looking across our different competitors, uh, almost everybody ranks it like first or second in the segment, which I think is actually fair. Um, you know, a lot of the other things out there are fairly, uh, fairly long in the tooth. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, the hybrid is very fuel efficient too. It's something where set it and forget it. If you're not on board going all electric, but you want something that's a little more fuel efficient, something like this is right there for you. So, yeah, it's, <clears throat> I mean, Accord is one of the best selling nameplates of all time and <laughs> um yeah it, it doesn't have to be super exciting to 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 earn that it just has to be good and um you know good good enough value um i haven't driven the new accord yet um but uh you know I, I really, really enjoyed the Honda Clarity <laughs> and, um, you know, with that going away, um, I could see myself getting in an Accord and, and having a, a sort of a newfound appreciation for the, for the Accord hybrid. It's huge as far as just space, like the stuff you put in the trunk is cavernous. So kind of makes the case for sedans where, you know, if you want to drive a car, you can still get as much, if not more, in some cases, space and functionality than some crossovers. So, so tell me about this Mini EV yeah. that you drove there, John. Yeah, so I had the Mini Cooper SE, and um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it, my first impression was that it, it felt a little bigger than I remembered it because I it was like, oh man, I got to put two kids in the back of this and um, drive them around town and get them to school one of whom is in a car seat. Um, but I was able to do it just fine. Um, Lola is in a forward facing car seat and I put her behind me as a driver and I only had to scoot my seat forward just a notch or two to make sure, you know, she was comfortable and I, and I was still able to, you know, drive perfectly comfortable, perfectly comfortably. I wasn't, I wasn't too close to the pedals, too close to the wheel. Um, then once she got out, I moved it back two clicks and, um, yeah, drove it around just fine. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my first experience with it was, uh, fitting the kids inside. Uh, it was a little difficult for them getting in and out of the back. Um, you know, you can't really reach the, the door handle from, from the rear. Um, but anyway, uh, the range is the, um, you know, big thing that, <laughs> that folks are talking about, uh, with this one. It's just hard to be competitive when you, when you only have, you know, 114 miles of range. Um, but I mean, if you, if you're a city dweller and you're just never going to leave the city, 
that's perfectly fine. Um, but if you do have to leave the city, you know, if, if, if I were going to commute to Detroit or something, um, I'd be a little concerned, uh, you know, on a, on a warm day. Yeah. It was showing, um, you know, over a hundred miles of range on a full battery way to get in on a cold day. It was showing, uh, you know, double digits and, um, and then when you go on the highway, that starts dropping faster than it would if you were driving in around town. So it's a little concerning um, if you have to go any uh, great distances with it. But um, it is really fun. It's, you know, it, it drives like the minis we know and love. Um, very nimble, um, very compact, really easy to, to dart from place to place. Um, really easy to park, which is nice. Um, but I think with the uh, extra weight from the battery and the sort of suspension um, changes that have to be accounted for for that, uh, it actually rides a little more comfortably than, than other minis. Um, it's not quite so skittish over the bumps, um, but it, does, it doesn't seem to lose... Um, lose that handling it's still really sharp in the corners um and you know it's got that low center of gravity too so that that helps too um just really surprised how well uh the evness of it uh translates the the you know familiar sharp driving that we expect from a mini cooper um but yeah the the the, the range is is the big thing um it's just hard to compete when when everyone else is has way more range than you um and you know size is an issue but i feel like if you're buying a mini you're buying it because you're ready to make those sacrifices you're already going to make those the size sacrifice um you're buying it because it's it's cool and it's neat and unique and it drives well I'm impressed you got two car seats in this thing. That's uh, well, Wally uh, is just in like a booster now. So oh, okay, yeah, that makes a difference. And, you can a booster can fit in almost anything. Yeah, and, and you know, some days he's not even in that because you know he's he's at that height where it's like we're sort of transitioning him out of it. So and but he was able to you know I didn't have to move the passenger seat too far forward to to give him some leg room. Um, and uh, I don't know if if Cat would have wanted to ride shotgun in front of him, but um, but yeah, for for a, one adult and two kids in the back, it was it was perfectly fine. I was I was really surprised. All right, well, sounds good. So tell me about the Nissan Sakura. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. Yeah, it means it means cherry blossom. Awesome. In Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> so this is their little electric K car. Uh, I got to drive it in japan um just a, a brief loop around the city and um yeah it's a little nissan k car uh i say little because i mean it is small on the outside you get inside though and it just feels huge um you've got just incredible amounts of headroom um you know it's <clears throat> it's narrow but it doesn't feel all that narrow <laughs> the the front the front seat is a bench seat. You know, you lift up the little armrest and you've got a little bench. I wouldn't put a 
third person there, but, um, but yeah, it just feels huge inside. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a K car. It's got something like 112 miles of range. So actually <laughs> kind of competitive with that mini, um, and can do, you know, 80 miles per hour. Um, and uh starts right around i think fourteen thousand in japan boy like when you put it that way <laughs> it it really makes me want something like that in the u.s i would um be more comfortable with this car than i would with with an electric mini or with an electric mini cooper um on a day-to-day -day basis there's just uh more room, more comfort. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not fast. Um, uh, it's got something like 63 horsepower, uh, 145 pound feet of torque. Um, and it's, but it's not slow at all. It, it'll spin those little tires. Um, when you, when you pull away from a stop sign, if you, if you give it the full boot, um, but yeah, it's meant to be like a city car and it does really good at that. Um, it's easy to place in the lane. Um, of course, what I, mine was right hand drive. So whenever I went to signal, <laughs> I would turn on the wipers. Uh, yeah, it always takes like a good hour of driving to, to get that habit um, <clears throat> out of your system. Um, and then, of course, making making right turns was always, you know, you, you have to like sort of flip your brain to drive on the left side of the road there. Um, but it made it quite easy. I, I, I was able to, you know, even in dense traffic, I, I, you know, when I've driven right-hand drive on the left side of the road before in other vehicles, I'm really, you know, hugging the lane line. So I'm not hugging the other lane line <laughs> as I would normally, you know, you, you, you want to push the car over to the left because you're used to sitting on the left. Um, so you're correcting that by pushing the car over to the right with this, you know, I just had tons of room in the lane and if other people, you know, passing trucks and, and, and whatnot, it was just really easy to get around and, 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 Plenty of power to scoot out of a of a tight situation if I didn't want to get hemmed in on all sides. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's so roomy inside for for actual humans um, and so affordable makes it really uh, I don't know compelling. Um, I, I don't I don't think they'll ever do a K car here. Um, and they, they would have to, you know, it would, it would have to cost more here too. Um, but, uh, it was a great little car to drive, you know, sort of felt like a, a leaf in a lot of ways, you know, had, the, had still had the, like a sport mode and eco mode, still had the e-pedal, um, for, you know, closer to one pedal driving. Um, and yeah, once you got used to, um, uh, right hand drive, Part of it it was very very easy to drive um so yeah i liked it quite a bit <laughs> and then mitsubishi has their own version um that they 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 sell in in japan too um the ek 
XEV, I think it's called, or EK cross EV, they might call it there. Um, equally cute. Um, but yeah, it, it, when you when you go to Japan and you see all the K cars and you know, see how cool they are, and you know, it, it, it makes me always, I, I'm always, whenever we do one of our, here's such and such a dollars, import a car from wherever, um, you know, the 25 year rule, uh, it always has me looking at, at, at K cars from Japan because uh, they're just, they're just neat and um something something really fun about those small little cars and especially you know an ev like this yeah it looks like a riot it looks just googling around it looks like so much fun uh the only k car i've ever driven was a 1987 plymouth reliant so for now that's <laughs> different kind slightly of different car. genre yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's our review section. Uh, before we get into the news section, I should remind everybody we have partnered with Blitzshift. They are uh, Byron's wearing a shirt right now. Well, we're doing a sale, special activation. You can get the auto blown shirt, uh, and it looks pretty sharp. It's running now through uh, at least a week into November. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it will should still be available. It's called Fresh Donuts. And if you look closely, you can see an Autoblog logo just in there like an Easter egg. It goes through November 13th. You can check this out on our site, of course. We have an article. Or, you know, just head right over to Blipshift and uh, check it out. But we have a little write-up explaining a little bit of the design, too, on Autoblog. So check that out. It's a clever design. I, I love, you know, you know, the tire tracks for the donut and then the cars, the little cars, like, drifting around. They You, know, you realize that they're, they're the sprinkles. Um, yeah, I've got one on the way too. So I need to order one. I really do. I need to, uh, uh, I've been already looking ahead, trying to get some holiday shopping done and, uh, might have to pick this one up for myself here a little bit. So, uh, Byron, are you wearing a blip shift shirt? Yeah, Is that usually? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> usually. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, pumping a lot of money into their fall sale. We'll put it that way. And, uh, oh, good so, for you. yeah, it's been, uh, it's, okay. it's been a money spending kind of week. Oh, there you go. It's uh, I literally wear long sleeve T-shirts from like like 10 months of the year. It's just it's like a good base layer or it's like you get cooler. There's that even in the summer. You can like, it, you know, don't have to put on sunscreen, that type of thing on your arms. Uh, so we'll see. I think this one only is a T-shirt just for the record. Uh, although, no, you, know, you can actually get a long. Yeah, sleeve you can get a long sleeve. So you can get a hoodie. You get a hoodie. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Ooh, the hoodie, that could be interesting. I, it's tricky. I, my problem is I always have like a lot of fluffy hair. It seems like in the winter, I just don't get a haircut a lot. So like hoodies don't always work with me, but I guess there's other problems you could have. So this would be a good design uh, for a hoodie too. Cause you know, it's, it's it warm really and comforting is. like donuts. Warm and comforting like donuts. I could really go for a donut. That just sounds like what i want in my life right now after i go to uh there's this cars and coffee off of woodward called past Iders, and then there's a donut place like across the street and usually especially in the summer my son and i will stop over there and get either half a dozen or we'll each get a donut it depends on how unhealthy i'm feeling like do i need like donuts for later uh so shout out to daily dozen they have great donuts if you're on the woodward corridor i had the best donut of my life a few weeks ago 
<laughs> we were what kind of donut was it? It was a it was a, like a, a cider mill donut sort of thing. Oh, cider mill donuts it, are great. It was at a it was at a farm stand. We were picking up pumpkins, <clears throat> and um, and the lady was making them fresh. She had the machine. She had the oil. You know, and uh, you know, hot and still like kind of. Um, still sort of developing on the inside you know it was just it was so good um uh i i can't remember the name of the farm stand alexander's i think um it's on uh territorial and uh uh, whitmore lake road so sort of on your way out to the beautiful roads of hell michigan um it was incredible i'll never forget that donut Guys, now I'm genuinely torn. Do I get the hoodie, the long sleeve? I need to go see what like the sizing is on one upstairs, or perhaps I go with the the premium tri blend. I'm genuinely torn here. I went with shift donuts t-shirt. I went with the tri blend. Yeah, that's a good one. Can wear it under the the hoodies and everything else. A little more universal. All right, should we talk some news besides what we're gonna? perhaps buy for ourselves for the holidays. Uh, Ram midsize truck, uh, breaking news as part of the UAW contract with Stellantis. They're going to build a new midsize truck for Ram in the Belvedere. It's Illinois plant, uh, Elmstead, Indiana, Illinois. Illinois is some people I know like to say. Uh, that's a very upper Midwestern thing. It's like the way some people in, I would call this Big Ten country, bite off Wisconsin. And they're like, Wisconsin. These kind of clip it off. I don't know. Well, in Wisconsin, um, it was always Illinois. You're from Wisconsin. Yeah. So you tell me how to say all this. I don't know. <laughs> Illinois, right. Oh, well, that, uh, further north you go in Wisconsin. And maybe UP of, of Michigan, too. It's Illinois. <laughs> so what do we think of this truck? Um, it, it's about time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, we've been hearing about this for years and years. Uh, like, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, Philanus, well, uh, Chrysler talking about this back in uh, 2016, at least, um, saying it would come soon. And, you know, so, <laughs> and dealers wanted it too. So it's about time. Um, uh, and you know it's about time for the market too. We need we need more like midsize uh, and trucks, and we need more compact trucks too. By the way, <laughs> I think it's a situation too where they've probably taken selling like the last generation Ram fifteen hundred, like the old truck that they continued to sell as like the Ram Classic, uh, about as far as they can. Like, how long can you sell the old truck? And because that was essentially, if you wanted a value truck, you just got that one. It was cheaper and you got, a lot of people really liked that truck. I really did. It was a great truck. Uh, You could do it that way. And that was sort of your value play and why even get a smaller truck. But I think what they're sort of realizing is you need to actually aggressively go after that market, not just make it a compromise, make it something good, which Ford, Chevy, Jeep, Toyota, Honda, the list goes on, have done, Hyundai even. Um, you really got to go after it. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to do it because I mean, when's the last time Ram made a bad truck, right? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> we know this is going to be good. Uh, and you can still keep selling the last generation 1500 if you want to, nothing's stopping you there. So 
Uh, I think this is a good move, and I think it's um, it's sort of like uh, table stakes. If you really want to, like, say you're this full-line truck manufacturer, you really need a mid-sized truck because not only have your domestic rivals sort of outflanked you, so have many other companies, and companies are now looking like, hey, what can we do in the compact segment? How can we, you know, even go a size down and treat that as almost like an entry-level discount thing? So. You really have to have a portfolio right now because people love trucks. Yeah, and also like it gives them a little more kind of opportunity to make some money off what they did with Gladiator, and you know the COVID really showed them that people will buy the Gladiator at least if it's the only thing they can buy, which is better than nothing. So you know beats them going to a competitor or something like that, right? And if they can do you know a cheaper truck on that same, I'm not going to call it the same frame because I think that's just too much of a Wrangler. Der- derivation for them to really get away with it being a complete carryover but the rear half of the frame was already mostly ram anyway so kind of makes sense for them to kind of graft a smaller front end that'll take a different cab size on the front and go from there so you know maybe make some more money off that and prove to everybody that you know you could do like hybrid mainstream mid-size pickup the way that ford's kind of threatening to do with ranger but hasn't quite brought here yet so It'd be interesting to see what shakes out from that, especially with that with that four by e powertrain already existing, and knowing that Ram needs more electrification for hitting their compliance targets and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be uh, an interesting platform for them to build on. Speaking of Nissan, is looking to do a smaller pickup. Uh, target price is about forty grand, as we reported last week. Um, they want this to be fairly affordable. Uh, Really don't know too much about it, other than it looks like it would sort of kind of complement the Frontier, which is, I think, generally been a pretty well-received product. It hasn't set the world on fire, but it's it's been solid. You know, I have come away from my experiences with it, thinking it's a very credible entry. So this is something that could uh, complement that entry. And again, it looks like, you know, $40,000 range uh, electrified. All of this sounds very interesting. I think... Um, I think this is a good way to try to find some daylight when you're Nissan. You know, like, you know, the Titan is donezo, and, you know, you do have the Frontier right now. So so what do you do at this point? You want to get another EV in your lineup. A small truck is a great footprint for that. And you need to try to reach some, like, buyers in that, like, thirty to forty to $50,000 segment. Seems like a good play. I don't think this these kind of sketches like render teasers that we ran. This isn't probably going to be the truck. That's like some random concept, I believe. I'm trying to remember what this picture even is, but I think it'll be a little more trucky, if you will. Uh, it could even, they say they're not going to compete with Rivian, but I think it could be more like uh, a discount Rivian. And I think that could be a good play. Yeah. And I mean, if you figure they could probably use the, the Rogue platform, which was built with electrification in mind and go kind of the same route that Ford did with the Maverick and Hyundai did with Santa Cruz. Like it's just... It's a good fit. And I mean, more is certainly better, especially when you just look at the pent up demand that still exists for Maverick. You still can't go just order a hybrid Maverick and get a timetable like they'll put the order in for you. They just don't guarantee it's even going to be built for the coming model year. So clearly the market wants the trucks. It's just a matter of someone being able to produce enough to satisfy demand. So the more the merrier, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think with with the electric uh, <clears throat> excuse me, electrification aspect of it too. 
um, Nissan's uh, pretty, you know, <laughs> it's sort of proven itself there too. So I, I think, um, yeah, that, that would be a good fit for it. Uh, and just, yes, we, we, the, the demand for, for these, these smaller trucks, well, at least for, for Maverick, um, is there. So if you can, if you can, you know, sort of siphon off the overflow from, from Maverick demand, um, why not? Yeah. And especially a nice flexible platform, like the, the, the rogue platform. I don't know what that's called off the top of my head, but the fact that they can do an electrified powertrain on it, or they can do a gas powertrain gives them some flexibility so they can kind of respond to the market a little bit more reactively and without, you know, being too far behind. And especially with, you know, the automakers right now kind of pulling back on cheaper, pure EV options while they're waiting for supply chain and tech to kind of catch up. And we saw Honda and GM kind of split on the cheap Ultium stuff. That's not going to happen for Honda anymore. So, you, you know, you've got a lot of space in the market. It's going to be difficult for people to fill if they're going to go all the way to a full electric vehicle, but at least you can electrify in increments and still offer alternatives without having just kind of sit around and wait for supply to catch up. So, it's flexibility. It's, I mean, a lot of baked in profitability if that's what you want to, you know, focus on. So something that Nissan could really use right now, honestly, like they could, they could use something big and special and splashy, even if it's just a Maverick alternative. I mean, being second in line behind Maverick is not a terrible place to be. So, you know, good place to start if you're a Nissan. I actually think by sort of killing off the Titan, they've given themselves great freedom to experiment with different segments, different design angles, uh, different just, you know, MOs about who they want their trucks to be. So, I mean, and it also is, I think, put the impetus on them that, you know, you have the frontier. Okay, you need more than that, probably. If you're not going to compete in the full size and you never really were able to do that credibly against Toyota, let alone the Detroit 3, where you always were a distant like fifth or sixth place, Maybe you could win here. You know, I mean, this could be they've been dropping some tea leaves with like the like the hard body sort of addition for the frontier. Like they're definitely showing they're willing to go back to like that sort of small, like, you know, beach truck, off road truck that they were so good at in the 80s and 90s. So. All right, so let's move over to uh, the ID7. Uh, this is an ID7 sort of estate wagon that we're seeing. Uh, it sounds like we're gonna get the ID7. We are, uh, and this is a pretty cool looking thing that uh, uh, I think it could come to the U.S. It would be Volkswagen's first electric wagon. I think they should, and we'll just go around the room, quick hot takes. I think they should because I think people would look at Volkswagen and say electric wagon. This looks pretty good. Sign me up. I think it could cut through to that kind of like buyer that maybe is, you know, all the people who would traditionally flop flock to Volkswagen. So I think they should do it. We'll go to you, John. What do you think? More electrics for you to write about? <laughs> yeah. How to blow the electric? I mean, it would sort of fill a spot, uh, fill a hole, um, you know, until they, until they have, uh, larger electric SUVs available here. Um, this could be something Volkswagen could offer um, in that space, sort of. Um, but also, I don't know, I, I, 
I feel like it would only be viable for that amount of time until, you know, uh, something larger comes along that isn't a van, you know, until, until proper uh, SUV crossover um, comes along that's electric. Um, that would probably uh, rule the ID7 wagon obsolete um, in America's eyes. So I don't know. Uh, and then, yeah, you'd probably have to make it alongside um, the sedan. I, you know, I, I, I forget whether, whether they're making, whether they're going to build the, the, the sedan here in the U S um, and I don't, yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know how, complicated it would be to try and you know maybe build every third or fourth one that comes down the line in this in this body style um i don't know if it'd be worth the cost or not um and honestly i i i just don't think they would sell that many here um unfortunately um and if they did it would just be for a short period of time until until they've got suvs All right. Do you have a position on this, Byron? I I don't know. I'm fairly indifferent to the ID7 in general. Um, I've I went on the preview event where we got to see the the early sedan back in I guess it was November of last year. I think it was LA Auto Show last year that they invited a few of us to come see that. And I I I don't know. I think like the market here for the Passat is very much just Passat owners who want a new Passat. And probably want a Passat done the way the old Passat was done and preferably with a diesel. So basically you can't really please those people, you know, and I say that I'm a former Passat owner, too. So, like, I get to say these things like it's it's a it's the kind of crowd that you're never really going to please. And I almost wonder if maybe if they're going to do this, they should just go all in on the wagon and kind of bank on it being weird and lean into that a little bit, because I think that might draw in customers who otherwise would look at, at an electric Passat equivalent and just go, nah, I'll keep my old one until that's a more attractive prospect. Um, I don't know that that Volkswagen really has the the brand charisma to draw in people who are just looking for any sedan at this point, um, which they're definitely out there because they're, you know, people who've been abandoned by all the, the domestic automakers and everybody who's pulled back on four doors. So there's, at least a few people out there who are kind of stranded by the crossover migration. But at the same time, I don't know that any of them want an electric Volkswagen. So this is a weird spot for me. I mean, you look at VW and its sedans, like the GLI is so good. The underlying jet is fine. And like the Ardeon is a very critically well-received vehicle that literally nobody cares about. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering like, really what the point is honestly like it i don't see passat carryover being enough of a of a of inertia i guess for uh for a midsize electric sedan to take off and it's probably not going to be called that anyway it's going to get an id name so you know the, you're kind of throwing out the brand equity too so I, I don't know go with the go with the wagon i feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna try why not try as hard as you can and just see what happens you know put throw everything at it if it either it either sticks or it doesn't. And like you said, I feel like it's a, you know, it's going to be at best maybe like Volkswagen's flex in the, the meantime. Well, before you get a new, you know, big three row legit full on electric efforts. So it's better than nothing, but I honestly don't know who it's for. 
All right. So it looks like uh, two to one. I um, am outvoted here on product planning. So that's okay. All right. Let's bring home the new segment here with a couple of quick hits. So we've got SEMA and then we've got the Tokyo, the Japan Mobility Show. We talked about this last week. Uh, we have not talked about our editor's picks, which the iconic SP, this is the concept car from Mazda, that summons the spirit, as I said, of the legendary RX-7. Um, it's a really good looking car, but you were there. I wasn't. What was it like to be there and what stood out in the flesh to you there, John? Oh, <clears throat> well, that one stood out. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I was just like, give it give it all my points. And I, I know it wasn't you know, fully electric, but, uh, uh, you know, rotaries and, and electrification, it's, it's neat. Um, and, you know, put it in something that looks like that and i'm 100 on board it's just a beautiful car um a lot of neat stuff at the show um a lot, a lot of stuff from you know uh, that was sort of pointed toward the u.s or potentially pointed toward the u.s which is kind of neat you know the if you go through our our uh our editor's picks you'll see some neat stuff there you know the the uh Electric um, Land Rover SE was pretty cool. Um, you know, all, all the stuff, all the you know, big launches were neat. The the Lexus cars, the the, the Nissan um, Hyperpunk, uh, Hyper Tourer, and uh, Hyper Force were all uh, a lot cooler in person than than they come off in in. Uh, photos or, or renderings um <clears throat> really sort of um a lot more pleasing co coherent designs <laughs> when you see them in person um but i mean the the show itself was just so massive um you know there was the halls with the cars there's a hall with uh, a bunch of different campers <laughs> some of them you know K car, K van campers, uh, some built off a of really weird thing. There was one with a sauna in it. Um, just some neat stuff. And then, you know, depending on where you go, you know, Suzuki and Yamaha are there and they don't just have motorcycles and cars. They've got uh, strange robots and mobility devices. And then as you go deeper into the uh, halls of Tokyo Big Site, um, the name of the convention center. Um, as you wear down the soles of your shoes, you start to find some really odd stuff. They've got a little bit of everything. Um, they've got, you know, parts and suppliers and whatnot. Um, they had this exhibit called uh, uh, Tokyo Future Tour. And you walk in, and it's this creepy, weird, like, uh, it was like the back rooms almost. It was just... <laughs> You thought something you were expecting a jump scare, but then you come around the corner and then there's all these um, different mobility things. There's weird clothes <laughs> that were there was a downless down jacket um, that was, you know, made of air. <laughs> it's hard to describe some of the stuff. There's all sorts of uh, emergency vehicle stuff, all sorts of food truck sort of stuff, uh, lots of hydrogen things there was 
a swing that people were swinging on. And as you swung on it, it um, generated power to, uh, <clears throat> to electrolyze uh, water into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, there was a dude running around with a robo exoskeleton um, in a pretend, you know, disaster scenario, like the building had collapsed and he was <laughs> moving rubble and stuff. And then you go further on, there's, there's games, there's uh, virtual reality Pac-Man cart where you sit in a, a little go-kart and you're wearing virtual reality glasses on, on this course and you're driving around. Imagine being Pac-Man and eating the little pills, the little balls that in the Pac-Man game. It was weird stuff. Um, and then there's, you know, a hall of just toys. <laughs> and then there was a little spot for, for kids, which was really neat. Um, they had this kid zone where, which is something I'd, I'd love to see at more uh, auto shows where it's just things to, to sort of educate and get kids excited about, about cars and engineering and, and whatnot. And then um, there was a bunch of food trucks, a bunch of, you know, bunch of concept food trucks but then there was like a bunch of real food trucks outside um there was the japan meat show <laughs> it was just a bunch of different food trucks with different meats um and that was on one of the roofs <laughs> of the building uh it's just sort of a weird weird thing very you know high energy the whole place very high energy um everywhere you go like the stands there's always people at all the stands looking around um it's not like some of these other shows where once the press conference is over, you know, an hour later that it, that stand is, is abandoned. Um, no, there's people at all these things learning about all these cars and they just, you know, they just bring out so much, bring out so many different concepts. A lot of them, um, very conceptual. Uh, some of them are just concepts for, you know, seats or whatnot. <laughs> and, um, uh, uh, yeah, you know, lots of K cars, which is always fun to see. Um, lots of weird uh, electric startup brands. Um, just like like I said, my my feet were hurting uh, by the end of it. Just from walking around, looking at it all. There's just so much to take in. It was a big show, um, and a lot bigger than just the the newsworthy things. There, there's just so much to see and uh yeah a lot of it just so different and so energetic very cool very cool i last went about 10 years ago uh it was the tokyo motor show back then and like you i had similar thoughts it just it's really a unique auto show it's uh, a feast for the senses you see a lot of cool products it's cool to see like the Japanese automakers on their home turf, they like really embrace that show. Uh, it seemed like this year they really embraced the show too. Um, so, I mean, frankly, based on what you're saying and what I've sort of seen, read, and observed, this show could be a template for a way like Detroit to get its mojo back. Like if Ford, GM, and Stellantis embraced like the Detroit Auto Show the way Honda, Toyota, uh, Nissan, etc., embraced this one. I mean, there would have been a hell of a show here. Yeah. So, um, sounded like a really cool thing to do. It was. It was awesome. <laughs> I 
Yeah, can't wait to. Yeah. And then I took the train home. I took the train back to the hotel, which is the perfect nice. perfect way to cap it off. There you go. The bullet train is that what they call it? No, uh, it was just it was just like the little uh, sort of subway thing that was actually elevated. So. Okay, I took the high speed train when I was there, and it was it was something. That's cool. It, yeah, I took that. It was a lot. To, it was cool. I took that to Kyoto uh, a few years back, and um, what an experience! And yeah, you're, you're just hauling. Just fly yeah. in between cities and you see, you get to see Mount Fuji. People come up and down selling ice cream and beer. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, it is SEMA this week. So let's just talk about that real quick. Best thing you can do is head to the site. Uh, we do have a hub for that setup. Uh, fair amount of, uh, you know, builds from Ford, Lexus, and Toyota primarily. Uh, a little bit of a diminished show this year. We didn't see as much out of like Stellantis or GM uh, or other years. I mean, I've seen Subaru and Honda show up big time for this show. And it was definitely a bit of a not as much OEM participation. But um, I don't know. One or two cars that stood out to you guys. What do you think? Well, for me, it was definitely really not so much the cars, but the the factory options coming through for some of these different things like the the Fords, especially we saw the introduction of the factory supercharger or not factory but dealer supercharger packages for mustang and f-150 again and stuff like that so you know anytime you can get 800 horsepower from your mustang and still get a warranty that's a that's a win in my book uh, but the uh the fj bruiser and the retro cruiser the return of the retro cruiser because that's not the first time we've seen it uh were definitely uh build highlights for me because those things look wild and uh that bruiser especially which is just unrecognizable as a factory toyota looks like some crazy horror movie farm equipment machine coming to you know decapitate you and your children so it's a it's a pretty wild machine so uh, i'm looking forward to actually getting a chance to see that in person i'm hoping they're going to tour with that what do you think john um i quite enjoyed the nissan safari rally z tribute so like you know i mean the way the uh you know it's sort of like you take like a 911 and make it a rally car you know take take the z and make it a rally car it, it, it looks cool uh looks like a lot of fun i would love to drive that um some of the uh lexus off-road builds were cool um and then uh the let's see the the Ring Brothers Paramount uh, Rolls Royce Silver Cloud Two <laughs> was was pretty neat. Yeah, take take out its V8, put in a Corvette V8. Um, yeah, leave it looking very much uh, stock, um, but then yeah, just change everything underneath and make it uh, super powerful. Um, just sort of a neat neat thing. I, I'm always interested in what the ring brothers do because it's it's always fairly wild but this one was you know at least aesthetically fairly tame but then yeah wild underneath so i like that quite a bit well i'll stay with the ring brothers i loved the uh charger it was a 69 charger they brought uh this one is called the uh the tusk because it gets the elephant crate engine treatment yeah, they they basically took a 69 charger uh, did a very uh, intricate build, I think in really good taste too, with 
gold wheels, uh, some gold decals, the hood scoop. Uh, this is the 1,000 horsepower Elephant Crate, 7 liter supercharged. What a rocket ship. Uh, it actually has a, uh, the Tremec 6-speed manual, which is kind of crazy. There's carbon fiber and stuff going on. Uh, I remember seeing one of the original Elephant chargers at SEMA. Like This is a few years ago when I used to go more regularly. And this is a nice um, evolution of that crate engine. Uh, I think it's really cool when they do these like I'm not quite sure what bucket you would put this in, if it's like a resto mod or just like, I don't know how much of the original 69 Charger is here, but uh, they have the aesthetics and then a lot of very cool modern running gear and a lot of, um, you know, carbon fiber, cool, like forward, future forward materials. So if I were there, that's the one I would get a beer and just go stare at, um, which is frankly, whenever I've covered SEMA, that was like the best part of it is like when the work is done, like there's like beer stands like everywhere on media days anyway. It's just going to kind of like, you know, get a draft and soak in cool car stuff. So. All right. Should we spend some money? All right. Jason in Grand Haven, which is not far from where I think they got like a foot of snow a couple days ago this week. That's the west side of the state. It's pretty brisk over there. Writes, so I'm traveling to Phoenix in March of 2024, looking to rent a fun convertible through Turo. If you have the choice among the following, what would you recommend? They're all convertibles. 2014 Gran Turismo. This is a Maserati. Mercedes SLK 280 from 2008. Uh, base 2020 Mustang. Base 2020 Camaro. 2014 Audi A5. Fiat 500C. This is 2018. Or the Miata. Uh, RF from 2019. That's a good one, too. Uh, plenty of other choices, mostly different variants of the Mustang and Camaro. Uh, max range is $90 a day. Uh, price range, I should say. Uh, in the past, uh, Jason has rented a 2019 Corvette and a 2018 BMW 4 Series. Uh, both good choices. Uh, so any suggestions would be great. Um, let's start with you. Byron, we'll throw the ball to you. Alrighty. Well, uh, just looking at those, my first instinct is going to be the Miata RF because uh, as convertibles go, that's about as uncompromised and fun as they get because the Miata is meant to be a convertible top to bottom. So it doesn't really matter which one you get. That's the way they meant to build it. It'll be a lot of fun to drive. Um, the only consideration would be whether you have like gear to bring with you. So like if you're going to have bags, luggage, anything big, then I would pivot to the Mustang because even in convertible guys, it's got probably the largest trunk of anything on this list. I have not driven a Gran Turismo convertible or an A5 convertible. So not 100% sure on either of those, but uh, certainly going to get a lot more cargo area than you would in the Fiat and uh, definitely more than you'll get in the Camaro. The Camaro trunk is already tiny and then you make it a convertible and it's even worse. Um, but yeah, the I mean... For cars to drive, though, I mean, the base Camaro is going to be really, really nice, too. Like, dynamically, it's going to be really nice, better than the Mustang. Um, so between those three, I feel like, you know, it's kind of a pick-your-poison type situation. But I think my my first instinct is going to be Miata every time. Okay. How about you, John? <laughs> my first instinct, also Miata. Um, for all the reasons Byron said. I mean, it's just, it's just an awesome convertible. Um, but... I'm thinking about Phoenix. I'm thinking about uh, lots of long highway stretches to get anywhere. You, you're not going to really get the chance to 
Well, it depends. I mean, if, if you're going to be able to get out of the city or, or maybe you're going to towards Sedona or something, um, you're going to have the chance to, to stretch, stretch its legs a little bit. Um, cause where the Miata really shines is in handling, you know, when the road starts to, to curve and bend. Um, but if you're just going to be doing a lot of commuting, um, around, uh, greater Phoenix, uh, spending a lot of time on the highways, I go with the Mustang. Um, great highway cruiser, um, really nice sound. And then when you're in the city, you can also, uh, enjoy those, you know, those stoplight drag races. <laughs> um, even in the base, even in the base model, even the B6, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, more comfortable, um, definitely a good amount of space. I don't know how much space is uh, an issue with you, but um, yeah, if you're going to get out of the city, Miata, if you're hemmed in by you know, the infrastructure of Phoenix, uh, I'm going with the Mustangs. All right, I'm going to go totally different here. I'm going with 2008 Mercedes SLK 280. I remember this car from like literally my first months in the press fleet back in 2008. Um, all the things you said and a few other things out here are going to be way more practical. But you're at, I, I guess he didn't say he's on vacation, did he? But either way, you're traveling. Drive something different. Have some fun. You're not going to be there forever. Live a little bit. I would do that. You get the three liter V6, 228 horsepower. That seems pretty small, 15 years uh, past. Uh, it only weighs about 3,200 pounds though. It's rear wheel drive. It's got that early 2000s styling that you just, you don't see this anymore. It's it's really like, it manages to be kind of like, like angled, but also kind of curvy. It's just very 2000s, you know? This is, uh, you know, it's, it's 2008. That's what it is. <coughs> so, I would totally just do this, have fun. You know, you're not going to be able to get this car. I think on Turo for all, like you're just, you're not going to have this opportunity as much. I think you're going to be able to drive a 220 or 2020 Mustang or Camaro for five more years. It's, you're, that's ubiquitous, right? This, these things are going to disappear. I would say if this is still available, have some fun, try this. Maybe even don't even do it for your whole, trip you know do this for a few days but i think this would be a hell of a lot of fun to drive that's what i would do that was that was honestly my my third choice um third choice yeah okay. uh, just because it's it is uh older and really cool and um yeah when are you gonna have the chance there's a lot of good choices out here too yeah. i i drove the fiat 500 convertible i took that to a wedding i've got that was that was fun the Miata RF is beautiful. A5 is going to be pretty comfortable. You'll have fun with the Mustang and Camaro. That is what it is. The Maserati Gran Turismo, uh, that was kind of a deep cut, but it just, I don't know, decided, you know, why not go with the Mercedes? So. Well, the super cool thing about the Fiat as a convertible is that like the sardine can style like top where it doesn't actually really like cut into any of your like useful space. It just peels away at the top and you've got an open top and then you put it right back. I mean, you can even raise and lower that thing. It's something like 70 miles an hour. I think it's because the, it sits so far out of the wind stream that it doesn't, you know, try to rip the top off if you're playing with it on the highway. So it's, it's kind of a cool, neat convertible, but once you get over the novelty of that, you're still driving a teeny, teeny, teeny little car 
with the extra weight of a convertible mechanism. So, I mean, if you love the Fiat, great, but uh, it's it's an experience, but not necessarily one you want to enjoy for a very long time. All right. All right. Well, that uh, that wraps up just about everything here. It's November. Fall beer. Bell's Amber Ale. To me, that is the quintessential beer that you drink once the calendar turns to November. Each you guys quick lightning round. What's your November beer? You you already picked probably my favorite one. I I do love a Bell Zamber. I did just kill the last of my Oktoberfests. I literally had two more. And uh, on Halloween, I was like, you know what? They're orange. It fits. Let's knock them out. And so they're gone. And uh, but yeah, but the the bells is a good one. And also, I'm I'm really kind of for some reason ready for winter already. I might be skipping. The rest of fall and going straight to whoever shows up with the first winter warmer at this point, which won't be long. But give me some pumpkin. Any pumpkin ale? We're good. I'm still, uh, you know, just got back from Japan and, uh, you know, was reminded how how good Asahi hits. <laughs> uh, so I'll be seeing oh, yeah. that one that out. Um, That's real good. Yeah, you know, at the sushi restaurant uh, for the next few weeks. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm starting to eye some of the porters that have been sitting around in my fridge. Um, one I always love is the uh, uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Um, November is a good yeah. good timing for that. Yeah, <clears throat> and just so much depth of flavor and character, um, and yeah, uh, nice filling. Um, good good fall beer. One of the few breweries I missed from uh, my Cleveland days. Yeah. So that's all the time we have. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you might get the show. Send us your spend my buddies. That's podcast at autoblog.com. Please be safe out there, and we'll see you next week.